0: We are in the process of uh, finishing up. We've got one more week left on our Bless This Home series. And, and this has been beneficial for me and beneficial for my family. Um, we are taking a look at Matthew chapter 5, at the Beatitudes that Jesus Christ gave on the Sermon on the Mount. And we've, we've pulled four of them to take a look at how they would impact a family if a Christ-centered family would make it a priority to institute that beatitude, because the beatitude is simply it is a characteristic of a life that is blessed. And so we talked the first week about a family that would hunger and thirst after righteousness, and, and that our families need to be not Christian families, like in name only, but that we would be Christ-centered families, that Christ is not just a part of our lives, but he is the very center of everything we do and why we do it. And then we talked about um, the pure in heart and how our families need to have that in mind, that, that we have to be very careful what we allow in to influence our families. And today we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 5, verse Nine, where Matthew records for us the words of Jesus Christ, where he said this. He said, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God." And we're going to get back to that because I think it's really important that he associates a person who is a peacemaker with the family of God. Like that, that It's like, if you're a peacemaker, you're looking a lot like what God's family would look like. And notice that word peacemaker is actually made from two different words in the Greek. And he has the idea of of somebody who causes peace to happen. So they're the reason it's there. And Jesus, notice he didn't say peacekeepers, right? Because peacekeepers and peacemakers are very different. So here's how I tell them apart. A peacekeeper is somebody who just wants to avoid conflict in order to keep the peace. Right? Let's just not talk about it. Let's tiptoe. Let's not walk on the eggshells. Let's sweep it under the rug. Let's take it. We'll take care of it later. That's a peacekeeper. Because to them, keeping the peace is more important than solving the problem. And so what happens is, generation after generation is taught, you don't deal with anything. You just hide it. And yet the Bible says, if you get things out in the open, God will forgive it. But if you hide it, then it's going to be exposed. Peacemakers embrace the conflict in order to make peace. Now, this is a, a perfect illustration because my wife and I are very different here. And one tends to be one and the other one tends to be the other. But there is something about getting something out in the open because here's, here's what peacemakers do, and they, they may not even realize it. But getting things out in the open actually is the greater good because it's making you a stronger family unit. It's giving you a stronger relationships because you're dealing with problems rather than sweeping them all under the rug. Get stuff out and deal with it. Resolve it get better, be a better family, have better relationships. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. He didn't go to God and say, I know they're doing all this bad stuff. Let's just kind of not talk about it. No, he fully committed to resolving the issue. He didn't hide from our sin. He paid for our sin. He was the ultimate peacemaker. Because remember, we're not just a Christian home, right? We are a Christ-centered home. We're not just a Christian family. Oh, yeah, well, we go to church on Sundays. Yeah, you know, my my mom and dad, yeah, they kind of raised us in church. But, no, we're not looking for that. We're looking for a home that centers around Jesus Christ. A Christ-centered home, let me just say this, is not a conflict-free home. Can I get an amen, right? A Christ-centered home, they don't walk around with halos. And it's not sweet music playing in the background all the time. A Christ-centered home has conflicts, okay? It happens because we're human. We're people. We have issues. Goodness gracious, we have issues. A Christ-centered home is not conflict-free, but it will deal with the issues honestly in seeking the highest good. Now, this statement that Jesus made about peacemakers was really an anti-cultural thing in that day because you remember some of the words of Christ perhaps where he says something like, you have heard it said, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You have a right to be revenged, avenged. You You have the right to feel offended and to get somebody back. It's only fair. That was kind of the attitude of the day. But he kind of turns the tables and he says, you know what, in this new kingdom thing that we have going on, this new kingdom that I'm establishing here on earth, we live by a different set of rules. If someone smacks you on the cheek, you turn to them the other cheek. Wait, what? If they sue you for the shirt that's on your back, don't just give them that, give them your coat as well. If they ask you to carry their load for one mile, which the Romans had the right to do, go ahead and carry it a second mile. You disarm the situation. Because (laughs) here's the truth. When you stand for your rights, you're putting yourself first. And when you put yourself first, you put peace last. And this is just a different way to look at things. And when you look into the relationships that you enjoy and the relationships that you have, let's just kind of find out what kingdom life needs to look like rather than what everybody else is doing and how your friends say it ought to be handled. Let's find out what the Bible says. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12. There's a kind of a conglomeration of verses here, but it's Romans chapter 12. And then where Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says in verses 17 and 18, and then we're going to jump ahead a few verses and read part of 21 because it all kind of flows together. It says this, recompense, no man evil for evil. And this is beautiful, King James. It says, provide things honest. What it means there is is to simply live out what is right. Do what is right in the sight of all men. And I love what Paul says here because he gives us a little bit of leeway, right? He says, if it be possible, as much as life in you, you're like, you don't know my husband <laughs> or you don't know my wife. I get it. All right. That's why Paul is saying as much as lies in you. All right. I mean, just if it's possible, live peaceably with all men. And then skipping ahead here, be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Don't let the evil that is around you overcome you, but you overcome that evil with good. So what I'd like to do is take a look at just three things that peacemakers do. The first thing is this, they speak the truth in love. Now listen, a lot of you have no problem with the first three words of that statement. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to speak the truth. That, yeah, that's, I got that. I can speak the truth whether you like to hear it or not. And you can even show me Bible to back it up. We're going to speak the truth around here. Okay, bravo, Captain Obvious. How about let's speak the truth in love? There is a difference and you know it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's giving them this recommendation. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So you're speaking the truth in love and it promotes growth in relationships. It promotes growth in this church. It promotes growth in the kingdom of God. Speaking the truth in love. By the way, anybody want to take a guess at what word love that is? That's the word agape. So speaking the truth in agape, which in in, in agape, if you remember correctly, that is love with action behind it. It's like, To be honest with you, it's like a love feast where you're just pouring out love for somebody else. So speaking the truth in love is not telling somebody what the Bible says they're doing wrong with a twinkle in your eye. Speaking the truth in love is that you have such an investment in their life because of the love that you have been pouring into them, that you now have the right to speak truth into their life because they know and feel and sense and believe the love that you have for them and that you have their greatest good at heart. That's a big difference than just speaking the truth. A lot of us want to make withdrawals without making a deposit first. A lot of us have no problem speaking the truth and hurting people and walking away with our head held high thinking we've done God a favor by correcting their behavior when we haven't done anything to invest in their life to earn the right to make that statement or to give them that truth. Even if it is true, you haven't earned the right to make a difference and you're satisfied with your own arrogance rather than making a difference in their life. Randall said one time, are you making a point or are you making a difference? And people who just speak the truth are only interested in being right. They're not interested in helping that individual, and that's the difference. If you're a peacemaker, that's what makes you a child of God. You see, we're not doing things like everybody else. We have this kingdom mentality. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God because of the way they handle conflict. They're peacemakers. Man, he must be a child of God because of the way he is speaking truth in love. Let me give you just two tips on speaking the truth in love. The first one is this. Do that during non-conflict times. We all have those conflict times. Your spouse embarrasses you. She tells you how to drive. Yes, Holy Spirit, I hear you. She thinks you're riding too close on someone's bumper. So, don't say it. During those conflict times, say it in non-conflict times where you can, that does a lot of good for you, by the way. If you're the one that's going to bring the truth to this relationship in love, if you do it in non-conflict times, there's a few advantages because first of all, it allows you to calm down from the situation. It allows you to check your spirit. I'd give it a few days, okay? I'd give it a few days, check your spirit. It also kind of helps you check what the actual facts are of the situation to make sure you're not just having an emotional response to it. It also helps you to kind of think of a way to word it in such a way where they can feel the love that you have for them instead of just spouting off at the mouth in a time of anger. It also confirms the fact that you really have the best good for your relationship at heart. Like, I, so I really want to address this with my wife, or I really want to address this with my daughter, so let me think of the best time and the best approach and the best thing to say to get the very best result. That is speaking the truth in love. Another best practice for speaking the truth in love is to not confront the, the person. You confront the issue, not the person. So so it, it can be what the person does. When you don't listen to me, I don't feel like you value me. That's speaking the truth in love because we're addressing the issue. The issue is not you're a jerk. The issue is when you don't, I don't feel like you value me when I don't feel like you're listening to me. Right? When you're constantly on your phone when we're together it makes me feel like you don't want to talk to me. You may not even notice but when we're around our friends and you make these little jabs at me it really hurts my feelings. When you tell lies about little things it makes it hard for me to trust you. So When you're dealing, but you see, I'm still dealing with the problem. I'm dealing with the issue, not the person. Speak the truth in love. The second thing that peacemakers do, that peacekeepers don't have the guts to do, is they apologize when they are wrong. And this is like something that I'm kind of late to the game on. Melissa has always been the first one to apologize. Most of the time because she's the one that's the most wrong. (laughs) You know, there's... I'm a lot more brave in the 9 o'clock than I am the 11. You got my back though, right? Uh, I'm really late to the game with the apology thing. But what I've learned is the quicker that I can apologize sincerely, the sooner that I can apologize, the quicker we can go on with our good life. Because we have a good life. Man, we've gone days just knowing something was there and just not wanting to deal with it. Golly sakes, we're idiots sometimes. Just apologize and get it. I mean, let's get this, you know, how beyond the usually, and this is <laughs> this is like what did it for me the the person the I, I learned that the person who apologizes first is probably the most spiritual. So that's why. So <laughs> that's why. That's why I'm like now it's a, now it's like a competition, right? So like how my pride has to start to go down. A little bit, it has to be lower than my desire to win, to be the most spiritual. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm trying to apologize soonest because I know that that's the person who's the most spiritual. I think I'm missing the point. But, <laughs> um, but just be the first one to apologize. What James said here, this is actually the, the, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. James, in, chap- uh, in, in chapter 5 of James, verse 16, he says, Confess your faults. One to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Isn't that a beautiful, a beautiful statement? Confess, pray, and be healed. I love that. So here's a couple tips there too. All right. Admit to specific actions and attitudes. So when you ask forgiveness, when you apologize, be specific. Okay, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. Be specific. I should have called to let you know. I should have assumed the best about you. I shouldn't have shot the cat. <laughs> well, that was out of the left field. <laughs> okay, I'll say run over the cat during 11 o'clock. But it's like, be specific with what you are asking forgiveness about. And let me just address this. Remorse and repentance are two different things. Right? Remorse is, I'm sorry I got caught. Right? And that's not the same as repentance where you say, I was wrong big difference. I was wrong. And I think there's a little bit of a differentiation too, because sometimes you just make mistakes and then sometimes you sin. And for a mistake, this is just my suggestion, this is Eric. I would just say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to spill your coffee. I didn't mean to bump into you. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. That's a mistake. Okay. But those are what maintain a healthy relationship, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry. Those, it's not, that's, that's strength. Because what you're doing is you're just shoring up the relationship all the time. You know, you do something that you know could have been interpreted the wrong way. Or like if you do 10 of those, it's hurting your relationship so why don't you just like say I'm sorry for every time you make a mistake? Like, you do, we, we all do stupid stuff all the time that we don't mean to do. So just say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, not like, no, not like every other word, but I mean, say you're sorry when you make a mistake. You're not, you're not that big a deal. <laughs> she knows what, what you're really about anyway. Yeah, I mean, you may you may be a big deal at work. You may be a big deal with your friends, but she knows who you are. She knows all your secrets, right? So just just be who you are in your relationship with that incredible person that you have, and even with your kids. When was the last time you told your kids, "I'm sorry, Dad was a bonehead"? All right, I just I just blew it. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. So, when you make a mistake, you say you're sorry, but when you sin, you say, Will you forgive me? To me, that's a little more restoration is needed there. You need a little bit of buy in. You need the other person to acknowledge that you sinned and you need forgiveness from them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't really even require a response. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm I'm I I'm, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? That's a different level. That's when you've done something sinful in my opinion. And again, none of us have perfect families. Okay? We all have odd people. Go to a family reunion. Okay? Everybody has a psycho somewhere. That's another ericism. Every family has a psycho somewhere, and if you didn't nod your head, maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe you're the psycho. Uh, but every family has a psycho somewhere, and and I think that it's important to understand that we all need this because none of us have perfect families, and some of you have much more difficult situations than I can even imagine. And I don't have the experience of life that you do because I've not lived with that person or I haven't experienced what you've gone through and I haven't, I I, I never experienced that abuse or that shame or that whatever it is. But let me just tell you this, or let me finish that up, no excuses. That's a, the that's a second Little thing there under apologizing you're wrong. Just no excuses. I'm just an idiot. Okay. You agreed with that too quickly, honey. I'm sorry. But none of us have perfect families, and, and I have no idea what you're going through, what you've been through, and what you deal with, and what you've carried with you for 20 years. But here's what peacemakers do. Number three, they forgive and let it go. And I don't know exactly how you do that. Let me tell you. Some of you have been carrying it around for years. And it's damaging you more than them. And you just can't let it go. Well, Eric, what am I supposed to do? I mean, how do I forgive? I mean, how... How do you forgive and let it go? How, Eric, how do you do that? I was betrayed or I was assaulted or they committed adultery or I've been abused. How do you, let me tell you, I don't have experience with that. All right, Eric, so what do you think? Let me show you a verse that I think just answers it and just covers it. Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, and he's addressing an issue, and he says this. He said, forbearing one another. I love that word. Forbearing means to hold up, right? Hold up each other. And forgiving one another. Now, that word forgiving is a really interesting word because it's a legal term that means pardon. They're guilty. They are guilty. But you pardon them. So, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. How do I do that, Eric, even as Christ forgave you? And I, that's that's it. That's how you do it. I, I I mean, I don't know the one, two, threes, right? I don't know, all right, but Eric, how do I get over my anger? Or how do I, how do I get over this? As Christ forgave you. And I, I think what Paul is saying here is that if you have the correct understanding of everything you have been forgiven and full appreciation of, For the forgiveness that you have received, it gives you the strength to forgive somebody else, and it gives you that ability to be forgiving of somebody who is guilty, but it allows you to pardon them. He's forgiven me, therefore I can forgive you. My dad came to visit us one October, and I noticed that when he came to visit us, he had a cane. My dad was only 64 years old. I'd never seen him use any type of anything like that before, so I, he goes, he goes, I just, I got a pain. He said, "I." he was a hospice worker. He said, I I think I tweaked my back when I was lifting out a patient into another bed. and So he's using the cane. He said, I've got an appointment with my chiropractor when I get back home. And so his, their, their time here was, was over, and he goes back home, and I get a call from my mother two days later. We went to the chiropractor. They took x-rays. And your dad has stage 4 bone cancer. So we wait and we get a couple more phone calls and it looks like he has about six months to live and just nothing they can really do. And so I, was, I had the privilege of making like trips to Florida to go check on them and do stuff for them to just pour my life into him and spend as much time as I could, you know. And he and my sister, my younger sister, had not spoken for years. And I'll be honest with you, I think my dad was wrong. There were some things that he said that were hurtful, and, and I, it, they just never recovered. Their relationship never recovered. Weeks before his death, they brought the hospital bed in, the house, you know. Hospice came in he finally was able to convince my sister to come and visit him and he apologized and he did all he could to make it right you know what he said i wish it just wish it wasn't this late in my life i wish i'd done that so much sooner and here's the thing <laughs> the incident still happened And both of them still felt like the other person had done something wrong. But family's worth it. Family is worth forgiveness. My dad, with tears, regretted waiting so long. Asking for forgiveness. But family is worth it. And here's the thing we are family. We are family. And family's worth it. Matthew chapter 5, verse (laughs) 9. You want to be called a child of God? Act like family and be a peacemaker. It's not worth it. Family's worth it. I love how this works out. Blessed are the peacemakers who go around admitting their faults, forgiving one another, healing relationships, because that is what family does. And that's what the family of God looks like. And if you are a peacemaker, you will be called the children of God Because of the peacemaking that you're doing. You know why? Because nothing. You will never look more like Christ than when you forgive. That's what family does. You'll be called a child of God because you're imitating Christ. You will never look more like Christ than when you forgive. Jesus Christ was the great reconciler, the great peacemaker, and that's what we need to look like. Let's pray. Before I pray, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I just, how many of you would say, Eric, I need some peace in my life right now? Would you raise your hand? I just need some peace in my life. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty. How many of you can think of a relationship where you need to be the peacemaker? Would you raise your hand? Yep, yep, me too. I got my hand raised. I need to be the peacemaker. All right. Let's act like the children of God. Let's make that happen. You may be in here this morning, and you need to make peace with God. It's it's possible. You've been forgiven. You've been pardoned. He is waiting for you to come home. Let's pray. Father, we recognize the importance of this kingdom of God to be characterized by peacemakers and help us not to let things fester. Help us not to sweep things under the rug, but help us to make peace in love and admit when we're wrong and allow the Holy Spirit to show us when we're being a jerk Help us to look like Christ in the area of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.